1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? From Baz Luhrmann, the director who reimagined Shakespeare, reinvented the musical, and redefined a classic, comes a bold new vision of an American icon. But this ain't no nostalgia show. We're gonna do something different. Comic book heroes all find their superpowers. Elvis found music. Uh, bring that bass up, Jerry. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. I believe I can be great. Some people wanted to put me in jail. It's a Wells movie. Don't so much as wiggle a finger. I'm going to show you what the real Elvis is like tonight. In that moment, Elvis, the man, was sacrificed. And Elvis, the god, was born. I would do anything to make sure my mom and daddy never have to live in poverty ever again. I think if you dream it, you'll do it. You know? Yeah. You couldn't end your boy's animal behavior, or we will. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But in the end, you gotta listen to yourself. You bled me dry, and you still want more? I am a promoter. That is what I do. What you say is God-given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready to fly. Elvis, Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and I would like you all to welcome my good friend, Mr. Sean Whalen. Paul, it is a pleasure to be back here. It is always a pleasure to have you, and we have to make an announcement to the audience that you are going to be back here a lot more often. Uh, Sean and I have been talking uh, quite a bit lately, 
and he is going to be joining the show as a co-host. Uh, but we're going to, you know, we're going to do things a little bit loosely. There's going to be times when Sean does an episode without me here. When I do an episode without Sean here, we're going to still pull in the guest stars like we've done in the past. But you're going to be hearing a lot more of Sean. And I think the show is going to be much better for it. Well, I'm honored by that, in all honesty. Um, for people listening to this, you probably don't know. Paul and I have known each other for years, and I consider Paul a friend. And I'm when you said to me, hey, I'd like you to be on the show more often, um, I was very flattered because I'm having a lot of fun doing this. And I hope that comes across for anybody listening to this. Um, that's what this is all about. It's about an enjoyment of film, which is what we're all here for, to talk about film and, and our mutual joy for that. So I appreciate you considering me for this, and, and I'm thrilled to be able to be a part of this because the podcast is great, and uh, I I hope I add something of value to it for the listening audience. So thank you very much for the invite, and I'm proud to be here. Well, quite frankly, you know, friendship is important, and if you weren't my friend, I wouldn't have even thought about doing this, but the reality of it is as i was sitting there editing editing episodes that you were on i became more and more impressed with what you brought to the table uh that combined with your love of film which i'm well aware of uh, and i just thought this is this is a match and that's where we're going with it so i hope everybody uh welcomes sean aboard and enjoys his participation because again i think it i think it, it helps the show immensely so the first time out as co-hosts, we are looking at the 2022 film Elvis. And I guess we'll start off by giving our backgrounds with Elvis. And I, I know uh, from talking to Sean that mine is a little bit more significant than his, but it's not huge. I am a fan of Elvis's music and I have several Elvis albums. Uh, and there are times when I will say, hey, I feel like listening to Elvis and put them on. I am more of a fan of the later Elvis, the late 60s and early 70s Elvis than I am of the 50s Elvis, although I have a great appreciation of the 50s Elvis. Uh, but I am also not a huge or a hugely knowledgeable Elvis fan. I know the key points of his history, but I'm not you know, by, by any means, an expert on his history. Um, I do know, you know, some things about him, but I, I, I was not, you know, a huge fan who followed him uh, and, and his, you know, his personal life to any great extent. Uh, so that is my background with Elvis going into this. And why don't you give yours? So mine, it's strangely enough. So I was born in 71 and a lot of it revolves around my mother. My mother was a big Elvis fan. So a lot more of it like hinges on her and her love of Elvis growing up. I, I won't say I wasn't a fan. I recognize Elvis as being somebody who was like a pivotal, pivotal icon growing up. But if you were to say, you know, did you buy a lot of Elvis albums or things like that? No. I mean, that wasn't a thing. Now, as I've gotten older and, you know, I eventually hit that era where I started really getting into music. It was Elvis, you recognize foundationally that he is a piece to the puzzle for a lot of the musical talent that I was getting connected with. And I've grown to be a fan uh, when and that's why, you know, when we're we we're going to be talking about this particular film. I was interested in seeing this movie because of the fact that I haven't been like this real diehard Elvis fan my whole life. Um, I wanted to know more. And I know biopics and all that. And we'll talk about it 
you know, there's there's pieces of it that is compressed and they have to, you know, adapt because of the fact that they're trying to make a film and all of that. But I was excited for this to just get to know a little bit more. It's I don't, I don't want to pretend like I don't have any background with them. I do. You know, I mean, I've been my whole life. I've been surrounded by Elvis being this big icon, but I'm not a, I was never a diehard Elvis fan. I love the music now. I'm I'm very into him, and I'm glad we're talking about this film. I think there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, and I think you know you, the first thing we could actually talk about is, and I know I've talked about this before. Uh, I know it came up in conversation when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was covered on here, uh, as well as uh, the movie Rocket Man. Um, but it's not just musical biopics that I feel this way about. It really is just biopics or historical picks. And I do have some issue when they play fast and loose with the facts. And I I can appreciate, as you mentioned, that uh, there are times when they have to kind of create an amalgam of characters or they have to just kind of like gloss over something because it's, you know, it's, it, you know, you don't have 16 hours or, you know, it's not a miniseries, it's a movie, usually, you know, somewhere between two and three hours. And you're trying to put somebody's, you know, the key moments of somebody's life in there. Uh, and, and even if you didn't have a very exciting life, it's hard to boil it down to two or three hours. So I get that. Uh, I, I'm a little disturbed when either the movie presents something as fact that isn't or when people are too lazy to find out that it's not fact. And, you know, I, I hope nobody's offended that it bothers me when you do that, but it does bother me. Uh, you know, and, and it's just like, you know, when people cite movies what happens in a movie and it's like well i know elvis was this because i saw it in this movie now you need to dig a little bit deeper before you say you know it for a fact then because that's not quite enough uh so that's my pet peeve with biopics and i am perfectly willing to overlook a lot of that if uh again if, if people either kind of find out what really went on or if the movie doesn't really present it like rocket man was presented as being a fantasy Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you think that's all factual, then you got, you, you're kind of, you know, missing the point a little bit. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody presented things in a timeline that didn't really work. But again, if you are willing to kind of look past that, it was still, I thought, an excellent movie. So there's going to be things in this movie that are not going to be necessarily factual or not necessarily accurate. Uh, I almost feel like I wish they would say it's based on a true story, yes. but not but not factually, uh, you know, not factually accurate in all details or something like that. If they had just some little disclaimer at the beginning, I think I would totally overlook this particular problem. But it does does gnaw at me slightly. It's funny because I, I want to make it clear that I'm not contradicting you in anything that I'm saying right now. It's more just laying the stage for how I feel, you know, as far as these type of things. I guess I naturally assume now there's a difference between film and documentary. And that's I'm, I'm actually more in line with you because of that, where I, I guess I walk in being a natural skeptic when I know it's a biopic and it's a film that there's going to be some liberties taken with it. So um, that's not me advocating for it. It's more I just know that I've got a fact check when I see a movie like this. Um, or which which kind of goes exactly like I said. If, if yes. you, you know, as long as you're willing to look a little deeper than just taking everything on face value, I'm cool mm -hmm. with that. 
Yeah, so when I saw this film, I did not take that everything I was seeing in front of me was going to be exactly the way it played out. I knew there was going to be some liberties there. And some of it is to just make a better movie versus, um, you know, something that was disjointed. And, well, you know, like the, agree or disagree on that piece. But it's you're making an interesting point on that with biopics that um, we naturally have to fact check. Yeah, I mean, and we you don't have to fact check. I want, you know, I don't want to make anybody feel bad like I'm giving them homework. Uh, you don't have to fact check, but just have an understanding that maybe what they show isn't totally factually accurate. And and then it's fine. Just sit back and enjoy the movie. I will say one of the things, though, it's funny. I wanted to fact check afterwards because of the fact that I like the film. I think and that's when it's well done. That's that should be what you want. My wife makes fun of me when we're watching things like this because I'll be sitting there on my phone looking up facts while the movie is going on sometimes. Because you want to see if certain scenes like, okay, how did that really play out? And that's okay, too. I mean, I think that that's something where if you're interested in the topic because of what you've seen, um, then I think to a certain extent there's a mission that's been accomplished there where the film was engaging and and got you interested in the subject matter that you were viewing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, on the other hand, I shouldn't allow myself to be distracted while the movie is on. I should wait till it's over and then do my fact checking. But I'm always afraid <laughs> if I don't look at it now, I'm going to forget to look at it later. Do you do that? Do you do a lot like a lot, a lot of fact checking during the film? Uh, not a lot. But if it's a biopic, I'll, I'll you know, I will do more. Uh, and then a lot of times it's funny because, you know, when there's somebody on the screen, especially when watching older TV shows and there's somebody on the screen that looks familiar and then she'll say, well, who's that? And, you, you know, half, at least half the time I recognize who it is and I can tell her. Uh, but sometimes I don't. And then she'll say, well, could you look it up? It's like, well, you have a phone, too. You could look it up. <laughs> but, you know, it's I, I I do try to focus more on what's on the screen, uh, but I do find myself easily distracted sometimes. So that's, a, a, I guess, a character flaw. I have a big regret with this film. And it's it's funny as we're we're talking about the film in general. I so I saw this film at home and I still regret that to this day because I talked to somebody today, as a matter of fact, as of when we're recording this, because I was excited to record and talk about this film that I am always excited to talk about film in general. But I was mentioning to somebody at work about this film and they saw it in the theater. I did not. And I immensely regret not seeing this movie in the theater because uh, there's a lot of scenes and we'll talk about it as we delve further in that I feel really would benefit from me having seen it on the big screen with the screen and the sound and the experience. I have a nice size TV in my basement at home. I have a nice sound system there. So it's not like I have like a shoddy setup or anything like that, but I don't have a movie theater in my home. (laughs) And there's a difference between seeing a movie. And I feel like there's certain scenes, especially when you get into the scenes with the international, that it would have benefited from me seeing it on the big screen because I really like those scenes. And we'll, we'll talk about them as we go through our conversation about this, but that's something like, what was your experience like seeing this? Okay. And that's, that's a a very good question because I had a, what I think is a somewhat different, experience watching this particular movie uh before i got to see it a lot of people had meant you know had been asking me if i saw it because they had seen it and enjoyed it and they wanted to talk about it and they know i'm a big movie fan so they uh you know they naturally started asking well did you see this one did you see that one and uh so i made you know i put it on my 
to watch list, but I also did not get to the movie theater to see it. Uh, and I'll comment on that before I go any further is that for me, the movies that I want to see in the theater are usually the ones that are either, you know, something where the sound is spectacular or the special effects are spectacular. And then I want the big screen and the, and the, you know, movie theater sound system to really emphasize it all. So this one would have been a good one to see in the theater for exactly that reason, for all the, the musical performances in here and, and just the energy that uh, Austin Butler brought, brought to the screen uh, during those performances. But to keep moving on with it, when it first became available for streaming uh we put it on and we started watching it <clears throat> and uh if you're not familiar with this movie yet it focuses very heavily on elvis's relationship with colonel tom parker and uh tom parker was actually an immigrant and i believe he was an, a hungarian immigrant and he had what they or from reading up on it he had a kind of a, a, a combination Hungarian slash Southern accent that he tried to, to vary it into Southern and it became more Southern than Hungarian. And apparently in an effort to show the differences between him and I guess Elvis, uh, Tom Hanks decided to really emphasize the accent and make it even more exaggerated than it was in real life from what I, re from what I've read. Uh, and we found that actually very off-putting when we first started to watch it. And we watched about 15 or 20 minutes of it, and we said, you know what? We're not, we're not getting it tonight. Uh, I don't know if this movie is for us. And we turned it off. Then about two months went by, and we watched it again. You know, we put it on again. We said, let's give this another chance. It's, you know, the Academy Awards are coming up, and, and you know, we should, get, we should really give this a shot. And we put it on, and that first 15 minutes or so, was still kind of off-putting to me, but we kind of rode through that. And then once you got by, it was almost like just within a couple of minutes after we turned it off, it became so much more engaging because it became more focused on Elvis, even though it still uh, emphasized the relationship with Tom Parker, but it wasn't so Tom Parker focused at that point, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So then we watched it and then we enjoyed it very much. How about you? My wife and I watched it together, and, and what happened was um, this is normally a movie I would have gone to the theater to see with my wife. At the time this came out, my wife was not comfortable with, like, hitting the theaters again yet. We hit that – I want to, don't want to be wrong um, – don't want to misplace things here. My wife and I were going to movies, but it was sparingly. Um, she just, because of COVID and things like that, wasn't comfortable going back to the theaters like I was. This is the kind of movie I'd want to see with her. We watched it at home. I fell asleep during the first viewing, and that's not a statement on the film. I want to be real clear. I just happened to be tired. And for the length of the film, it just I was not I was not awake enough. I wasn't in a place where it was really a great time for me to watch a film. I fell asleep during it and really kind of set this aside until you mentioned like, hey, let's do this on the show. And then I watched it again and got really, you know, I told my wife, I said, I really want to watch this because, you know, Paul and I are going to do it. So I watched it. She had seen it already and watched it again with me. She loved it. So she was praising this film. And that was really how I ended up watching it was I came back to it. To your point, it was Academy Awards season. I mm -hmm. love awards season because I get into getting to know like what films I've missed that I haven't seen. And I, you know, I mean, the Academy Awards for me are just kind of an awareness of films that maybe I should have had on my list that I didn't. 
and it's kind of nice to be able to see them. I'm, and that led me to see this film. I watched it all the way through, really enjoyed the experience of seeing the film. And that was really what drew me back was the fact that you had mentioned, hey, let's do this on the show. I'm like, well, OK, all right, let's watch Elvis and see what this is like. So that was really my experience. So none of the falling asleep thing was a negative statement on the film. But it was funny that I fell asleep during it, didn't touch it again until you had mentioned seeing it. And I'm really glad that I did. Only criticism would be that I wish I saw it on the big screen. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, that I was so put off by the beginning of it, and then I still regret not seeing it on the big screen. It's not something that I think would be a common experience for me. Um, But again, uh, you know, I think that first 15 to 20 minutes was a little slow moving because of the things I talked about. And I could see where if you're really tired, it would be a little harder to focus on that because you really got to put some energy into kind of understanding everything that that he's saying uh, and kind of watching the relationship. And, you know, I I could see where that that beginning might not be enough to really hook you and and give you that energy to stay awake. I love Tom Hanks, but the buzz was around Austin Butler, right? So I wanted to get much more into Austin Butler early on. Now, watching the film all the way through and understanding the story that they were telling here and what they're really trying to talk, because it's really important to understand Colonel Tom Parker early on, his relationship with Hank Snow and how Elvis was a game changer. You know, like he was heading down a certain path and this was the kind of act, Hank Snow was the kind of act that he was dealing with, which is a respectable career. You know, he's pitching acts that, you know, these are good acts that you can tour around you know, the country with and and do well with because they're not exactly slouches. But Elvis was different. Elvis was a game changer. Elvis was the one that like people, you know, he's dangerous and, you know, people are drawn to that. And he's going to be somebody that people talk about because they're unique to the norm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to set the stage for the norm first in order to really appreciate the change that came later. So the piece that we're talking about that was kind of like the subtle part at the beginning, you kind of have to have in order to get the water splashed in your face like the rest of America did when they first saw Elvis. So I thought they set up the film well with that, but it was also the part where it was kind of like it was hard to get into it first because of the norm. Um, so it they needed it. And uh, I don't think the film is a longer film, you know, it's like two hours and 20 minutes, I believe. And uh, two hours and 40 minutes, two hours and four. OK, so I, it's even longer than I was talking about. So it's a decent sized film. But I think you need every bit of that in order to appreciate what they're trying to do here, which was set the stage for the fact of the game change. And I get it because when it when he comes on, you're ready for it. Right. Because at that point in time, it's like, okay, shit, oh, yeah. it's up a bit, and he sure did. Because <laughs> yeah, when that came in, it was a welcome. It was a welcome change. I could see where that could be like one of these movies that you watch, where uh, you know, like when you as a kid watching The Wizard of Oz, and you're just waiting for it to go from uh, sepia to color. Yes. Oh wow, wow, is that a great comparison? Because it did that in that moment. It was like, wow, now we've got a di- now we got a different movie here. Or although as as kids, we got to watch The Wizard of Oz beginning in black and white and not in sepia. Right, uh, right. Because it, it wasn't until they restored the film in sometime in like the late 1980s uh, that they, they brought back that 
brownish color to the beginning of that movie. But that's a movie for another day. Uh, <laughs> for, for now, uh, with Elvis, uh, I think, you know, you know, you, you mentioned the point that it's, a, you know, a longish movie and that there's a lot to cram in there. And I think that is the basis for the factual inaccuracies in a lot of ways is that they're trying to to keep the drama in there, keep the excitement in there and tell the story. But if they tell it exactly truthfully, they're going to need another couple of hours to do it. So, you, you, you know, you got to something's got to be sacrificed. And, you know, some some facts were sacrificed for that purpose. Uh, and, and again, it's that's OK. And I, I don't want to be just keep harping on that because it's OK. It's just you have to realize that it is not a documentary. And I think that's the distinction that you you called that I agree with documentary as opposed to biopic, two separate things. Um, let's talk about the performances in this thing. Uh, and I guess Tom Hanks is the first one since he's initially the dominant person on the screen. Tom Hanks is an incredible actor. And I still to this day shake my head when I think about the days when I was watching Bosom Buddies and I thought Peter Scolari was going to be the bigger star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he really is incredible and he gets totally into the role. And now I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, what is it, A Man Named Otto? Yes. I saw a commercial for it and it, it actually looks awesome. Uh, and, and he's another, you know, Tom Hanks is one of these people who I don't think I've ever seen a bad performance, even though I've seen some movies that don't live up to, you know, the, the level of the performance that he gives. What was really interesting about this film, and it's a testament to Tom Hanks, was the idea that I felt like this was a film initially with the way the story was, because it was told with him as the narrator. Mm-hmm. Colonel Tom Parker was going to be vindicated by this film on some level, like that this film was going to be, you know, his story of like how he was not this guy. And it didn't do that. And I, I really liked how the film kind of swerved me. It told me it made me think it was telling one story. And in the end, you're kind of like, but wait a minute, I got a lot of criticisms about Colonel Tom Parker from this. And I liked how it it showed the humanity of Colonel Tom Parker, because like you, I agree. In the beginning, I was focused on the fact that the character was, you know, Colonel Tom Parker was coming off as cartoony. But then as the film goes on and you settle in to his portrayal of the character, they're telling an emotional story with him of this man who is latching on to this this icon that he saw. He saw something in Elvis and and saw clearly saw dollar signs there. You can argue throughout the film whether or not that was exclusively what he saw, because I think there's more to the story there. But in the end, certainly a lot of his choices lean towards the what's best for Colonel Tom Parker. If Elvis wins out because of that, too, great. But as long as Colonel Tom Parker wins out, that's a good thing. And it was interesting to watch that portrayal. And I think Tom Hanks did a really good job of portraying a, a well-rounded character where we get to see like a, a certain picture of a guy where you're left as the viewer to really question the motivations of him. And there's certain pieces of the film they don't spoon feed you. And I, I, I am a fan of that kind of thing where let's lay out some things that are you know, I don't put, I'm going to put quotes around facts because of the fact that you got to compress them, sure. But I thought they did a really good job of laying some evidence in front of us that left us as the viewers from a film viewing standpoint to 
form our own judgments on Colonel Tom Parker that I thought was really an, an interesting approach to the film. And, and that has to do with the portrayal of the actor um, to the point of performances. He was great in this. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he was he was great on the traditional level that you expect Tom Hanks to be great. Austin Butler was routinely praised for his performance, but I think it was a very, very different type of praise than Tom Hanks got, because I don't think it was your traditional uh, performance, because uh, the quiet scenes with Austin Butler are fine, and I think he does a good job of portraying Elvis there, but I don't think those scenes are what made him stand out. I don't think you would have walked if if this entire movie were just the quiet scenes. I don't think you would have walked away, you know, just uh, marveling at how great his performance was. I think you'd say it was fine. Uh, but I think when they show him on the stage, when he comes to life, when he starts performing, that's where Austin Butler really just totally became Elvis. Uh, and and I you know you you just look at it and it's like. Watching this, I could appreciate what the audience felt watching Elvis live. And that's not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. And it's a very, very different acting performance or requirement in order to create that excitement. But I think he did an outstanding job with that. Probably the most sincere compliment I can give him in his performance is touching on exactly what you're saying here is, I started bookmarking on HBO Max because they have a lot of other Elvis content on HBO Max. I started adding to my list other Elvis movies and other Elvis performances because they've got a number of things on HBO Max available right now. And I was jumping to that afterwards, which he pulled me into that. He made me understand and get excited for what Elvis was. And I think that's really important when after you watch a biopic, you want to know more and you're excited to know more. And that's it's not because of the fact that I'm like trying to gotcha the film, you know, which goes back to our thing earlier. We know it's a biopic and there's going to be certain pieces in there that aren't going to you know, be 100 percent accurate to fact. But do you care afterwards about knowing more and getting involved in more and getting invested in more? And his performance, oh, my gosh, when he was on stage, I mean, you are making people believe at that point in time that you are that person. And at the end of the film, I'm not trying to jump around, but at the end of the film, when they start showing actual Elvis sequences and then you look at the performances of Austin Butler, my gosh, you got pretty picture perfect in some of the stuff he was doing. That is talent. Being able to get that close to the original when it's an Elvis Presley is very, very hard to do. He nailed that in the performances. And I loved your distinction of the quiet times are one thing. But boy, when he was performing like Elvis, you are sitting in your seats and you are glued to it. That is where truly when I say I wish I'd seen this on the big screen, it's not the quiet times. It's the performances. I wish I'd seen those on the big screen. Absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, what did you think of uh, Olivia de Jong as Priscilla? That's an important one. And it's it's hard in this two hours and 40 minutes to try and capture the relationship between Elvis and Priscilla, because you have to capture the duality of. 
why is Elvis drawn to her at all, right? And you want to believe that that's a believable relationship, but then also believe that she's competing with his love for being Elvis and the public and that spectacle of, you know, he's become larger than life. And there's that duality of a relationship, right? And I thought she did a really good job in a compressed time frame of giving us that piece where I get the attraction, you know, like he, you know, he was drawn to her and there's a beauty to her and there's more than that to her. You know, he can open up to her and talk. And we got to see sequences of that. If there's something where I would have liked a five hour movie, it would have been fleshing out that relationship more. You can't. I mean, there's there's that reality. And I thought she did a good job as Priscilla. And, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, when I say good job, it sounds like I'm knocking her. I'm not. It's more of there's only so much like this could have been a miniseries. And then I probably would have felt like they fleshed her out as much as they possibly could. She did a good job with what she could do in that time frame. And I liked seeing that because they didn't go through every relationship that Elvis had. Right. They focused on the Elvis and Priscilla relationship. And you needed to see that because it made his it made a picture of his complicated world and understanding the fact that he gave up a lot to be Elvis and never really had that. Um, I'll say this. I'm a pro, I'm a pro wrestling fan. And I know that those guys are on the road. You know, those guys, guys and girls are on the road most of the year. And family life is hard. Because you don't get the quality time that those of us, you and I are both married, and you, we get certain quality time with our spouses. Um, they sacrifice that when they have careers like this. And I thought the film captured that sacrifice and what that means and how it impacts a relationship in a way that was important. Again, taking liberties, but they captured what what that looks like. And I thought Priscilla was an essential character because of that. Yeah, I, I mostly, you know, pretty much agree with everything you said. I think that uh, Priscilla, you know, th- this is one of the points where they did play a little bit with the factual content because, uh, first of all, Elvis started being, uh, let's just say, attracted to Priscilla when she was 14 years old, and I think he was 24 at the time, uh, which would be an inappropriate relationship at that time. Uh, and I think there was a whole lot that went on uh, there until he was finally able to really take the relationship to the next level. And I think there was a, you know, pressure on him to actually marry her as opposed to, uh, you know, just dating her. Uh, but I, I think there was a chemistry between the actors, between Austin Butler and Olivia de Jong that showed that they had this, you know, deep caring for each other, uh, in more than just words. So I thought that was big to the performance. I thought we needed that because, uh, you know, there's there's a lot there. And I thought the performance also showed how he truly felt fulfilled by Lisa Marie being born uh, and, and having her in his life. And I thought, you know, those those were important things from what I understand Elvis really was. And again, I'm not a... Uh, you know, an Elvis historian, but I think those were important to the movie and to the reality. But also there is the way this movie portrays it. You would think 
she is the last woman in his life before he passes away, which is not reality. There were a couple of other women that he was, you know, that he had relationships with after the Elvis, after the Priscilla marriage had ended. Uh, and uh, you and I had talked about this once before, and I kind of threw you off guard to say that, uh, you know, the, the trivia fact I have is that there was apparently a six month period where he dated Sally Struthers uh, from All in the Family, uh, which I just thought was, you know, very cool. Uh, to to know that, but uh, you know th- those are things where again, if if you're going to try and put all of this into the movie, you you, you need a miniseries, and that doesn't say that an Elvis miniseries would be a bad thing, uh, but I don't think you know that's what we, they were looking for here. Uh, I think they were looking to create a little bit more of the electricity of Elvis and the you know the the friction with Colonel Tom Parker, and I you know just to kind of go back, and I know it's a little bit of a non sequitur, but you talk about uh, Tom Hanks narrating the movie, and your perspective that oh they're going to show it from his perspective, uh, and I do think this movie pretty much shows him to be the villain, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's an interesting thing to have the you know the have it from his perspective and still walk away thinking that he's the villain. Uh, but, you know, it, it it shows the weaknesses that he had as far as, you know, his gambling debts and that kind of thing and how he, you know, manipulated things behind the scenes. And some of that apparently is true uh, that, you know, he prevented uh, a European tour uh, because he, he needed Elvis to set up the residency in Vegas to, to satisfy his own debts, uh, you know, and, and he, he would come up with excuses for security purposes or whatever to do that. That apparently is all based on fact. Um but just if you if you follow the music industry enough or even, you know, famous people, movie stars or whatever, you hear enough horror stories about, uh, you know, celebrities that were uh, that, they, you know, that they had a, a, either a financial manager or a manager who little by little, you know, milked away all their money and, and stole from them. And then they ended up filing for bankruptcy because of it. Uh, at least it seems like Elvis didn't have that, although there was one point when he I think when he went to in the movie, they show when he went to fire tom parker and he was like well if you do that you know you have to give me all this money that you owe me uh and and that's gonna that's gonna put you in debt or whatever so i mean there there was definitely some you know he he was definitely shown as being the villain uh is the bottom line on that another scene that 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 wasn't actually in reality was apparently he never did fire tom parker from the stage which they show in the movie which is a very dramatic moment in the movie and very very cool uh, for dramatic purposes, but not reality from what I hear. Yeah. And, uh, and actually what I, to your point, I heard that that is something that Elvis wouldn't have done because Elvis wouldn't sacrifice the performance to do that. Um, so it was interesting that they made that choice. I think it was a good film choice. And there were certain things that they did that they took liberties with that I think made for a better film, but also sacrificed accuracy. And it's interesting. I would love to get in the head of, you know, the writers when they're having a conversation about like, OK, we're going to bend the truth a little bit here to uh, make this a much more interesting film, because they do that with a number of characters in the film. And I do think it was a good I think because of that, they did make a better movie. Uh, but like most biopics then afterwards you mentioned miniseries before this would lead me to want to watch an Elvis miniseries because I enjoyed the characters I enjoyed the film I enjoyed the story I'm intrigued by Elvis more not just Elvis 
I would watch a Colonel Tom Parker miniseries. I would watch a Priscilla miniseries. There are a number of characters. I would watch a B.B. King miniseries. Uh, <laughs> there were a number of characters in this that I know that they played around with a little bit. But I was intrigued enough about that I would watch, for, you know, and not just miniseries. I'd watch documentaries and, you know, what have you because of it. And that, to me, is the sign that the film captured me. It got me in the right places. And that was something that was interesting from this. Yeah, I, I agree. And apparently the relationship with P.B. King is shown to be a little bit more uh, more of a connection than existed in real life. Apparently they were friendly, but not friends the way they're shown in this movie. Um, and I think that was an effort probably to create an amalgam of different relationships Elvis had with different people, but they weren't going to have, you know, 20 different people trot across the screen. So they put it all on one person. And that makes sense to me from a, just from a, you know, being, uh, somewhat judicious in what you're going to show and how you're going to, you know, show, you know, put certain things onto the screen. I think it was interesting because they were showing a lot of his roots, right, and how important the roots were to him, that he was this kid who, you know, started off with, you know, start off poor and was was living in a neighborhood where he all of a sudden discovered arts through what was going on around him. And he just got this love for a kind of music that at the time it was very controversial to be in love with. And and that influenced his music, his singing, what he was interested in performing, and who he was. And it was something he wrestled with in his career when there were criticisms. And it was fun for the movie to kind of get that idea of it. I loved the that superheroes were kind of an escape. Because all of these things were escape from life, right? And just kind of um, this dreaming and becoming something more, something else. And I thought that was something that the film captured well, was kind of some motivations behind Elvis to be something beyond what the world at the time maybe was telling him he had to be. And I thought that was kind of a cool part of the film. I think things that, at least my understanding of them, uh, whether they're accurate or not, I guess remains to be seen. But my understanding of certain aspects of his life that I think they did not focus on uh, as much as they could have was apparently he had a, at least I, again, as I understand it, he had a very tight relationship with his mother uh, and was you know devastated when she passed. Uh, so that they didn't focus on as much as they could have. Uh, and I don't think they really focused quite as much on Elvis's excesses late in his life uh, as they could have. Uh, and I think that was a conscious effort to keep from making him appear like he could be the villain in this thing somehow, uh, you know, so, so they, you know, they did show some of it, but they didn't, uh, they didn't do it as much as I understand historically was the case. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, one of the things they, I guess, made a decision to do that I do disagree with, and it's probably my only real, uh, you know, fault with the movie is as the movie progresses and Elvis becomes old, older, uh, and Elvis was, you know, fairly young when he passed away. He was 42 years old. Uh, and when Elvis passed away, I thought that was pretty old. But now I don't. Uh, and uh, 
you know, later in his life or in the later port- portions of his life, you know, he had gained a, a decent amount of weight. He he didn't become as as heavy and fat as they try to, uh, you know, make it look like when they uh, when they make fun of Elvis. But he did gain weight and he did, you know, that he it did take a toll on him and he appeared older. Uh, and they really didn't do that with Austin Butler. They didn't fill him out the same way uh, and they didn't really age his face. His face, as far as the age he looked I didn't really see a lot of difference from the beginning of the movie to the end. And that's, you know, I guess probably about a 20 year period in his life has passed and you don't really see much of a difference. The end, it was funny because you're hundred percent correct. You do see a puffier face, like a much puffier face in the very last performance, but it seems to be much more of a focus on him being sickly than to your point, like a, a combination of things that it was the drugs, he was sick, the weight gain, you know, it was multiple pieces of that puzzle. You wouldn't have gathered that from the film. I admit, as somebody who grew up with Elvis, I knew about the weight gain. So I was filling in those blanks when I got to that point. But you're right. That was a, a key component. I thought that was something they threw like in the last performance it was like, bam, now all of a sudden he's got a puffy face. And that was the only time that you saw it. That's not a criticism of the film. I get why they did it the way that they did. But it was jarring, like in that sequence that it was like all of a sudden, like, boom, his face like was quite a bit like more prominent than it was in, in previous scenes. And that that part did stand out for me. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think it, it didn't really take away from the movie, but I was kind of waiting to see an older looking Elvis. And I never really saw that. Uh, and I guess, you know, the puffier face. Is probably more true to life than it could have been, because if they had made him truly fat, uh, like they do when they satirize Elvis, that wasn't really the reality. He got heavier. He got bigger. He filled out. Uh, he got, you know, a little bit of middle age spread about him, but he wasn't, you know, he was not a hugely obese man like they try to make it seem. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I I'm, I'm not really having a problem with that so much as he still had kind of a baby face at the end. And I think they could have tempered that a little bit. Could I touch on one piece with the mom real quick, just because there's sure. something that um, I thought stood out for me that I thought was a good sequence, because I agree with everything you're saying as far as I wished. There had been more about their relationship together. But I did like the fact that they did try in the film to say that she was the catalyst to him being true to himself. Because we had this Elvis who was kind of being, quote unquote, much more TV, you know, where it was like, uh, Elvis, you got to kind of like tone it down a bit and you know not do so much of the shake. You got to wear the, the certain suit and. And we're going to, you know, get, it's going to kind of restrict some of your movements and that type of thing. But he was sacrificing himself, becoming, quote unquote, new Elvis. I like that mom was kind of the catalyst in the film for him stepping up and like really flying in the face of what was being asked of him. And it began like our first real show of him being defiant against Colonel Tom Parker. Because that was one of those sequences where it was like, it doesn't matter what you're saying. I'm Elvis. This is what I'm going to do. I need to be me right now. It's like enough. Mm. And I think that battle kind of set the stage for this Elvis who was being pushed to be something he was not and criticized for being who he was. And yet 
being loved for who he was. And what a crazy era to try and be successful in because you're being beloved by so many people on one level, but being raked over the coals on another level is being almost evil. And I, I think the film did a good job of getting me interested in knowing a lot more of what that was really like for Elvis and what led to some of his, you know, excesses and, and how much of that was psychological versus just a sign of the times. And, you know, that's something I think a good biopic does where you start to want to know more. OK, let's get now I want to know more of the facts um, and, and did a good piece with that. Right. Yeah, I, I I think everything you say is right on the money. Uh, and and yeah, I think ultimately, the you know if the bio if the purpose of the biopic is just to give you a feel for the person as opposed to a uh, you know a, a biography, I think the movie absolutely succeeds, in my opinion. Let's talk a little bit about the music, and I think in this instance, I've I've my my friend Scott Gardner has. Uh, has criticized me for often combining score and uh and soundtrack uh with certain movies and using them interchangeably uh and and he's right about that except in this instance i think they are very much interchangeable because mm-hmm. even you know the, the this the music is so integral to the story and it's such a big part of the movie that even the the score in the background is usually echoing that music anyway so I think they do kind of tie in together, and I think it's one of the huge pluses of this movie. Uh, when you combine the, the music that you're listening to with watching, you know, Austin Butler on, on the screen, uh, you know, just basically owning it. Uh, and then you combine that with, you know, the background music as it's going on and, and having that kind of emphasize what you've what you've seen in the performances. I just think the score on this is you know, the score slash soundtrack is awesome. Yeah, I really from that's one of the other reasons why I wish I'd seen this in the theater. I think there's a there's a different kind of sound in a movie theater. And um, some people listening to this are going to be people that are able to replicate pretty close to that at home. I have a very good sound system in my basement here. I, I'm not going to pretend that it is like top of the line, top tier. But it's a it's one of those where I can certainly enjoy the score and the soundtrack of a film. And that made me want to even more hear it in a proper film going environment uh, because of the fact that I think that's one of the areas where they succeed. And you have to with this. Right. I mean, if you get that wrong, the film falls apart. (laughs) This is an Elvis movie. This has to have that. And they succeeded with this. Totally. Um, well, before we wrap it up, is there anything else that in your notes or anything that we've missed out on here? The only piece that I thought was really essential, and, and I, I just want to shout it out, the performances of Hank Snow and his son, Jimmy Rogers Snow, I thought were really, really great because they set the stage so much for, I mean, imagine being a father like Hank Snow, who was accomplished. You know, I mean, this was this was Colonel Tom Parker's guy. Mm-hmm. And his kid now, you see this game changer and as somebody who is getting older and is part of a, a certain generation that is starting to get left behind by the new thing, the new flavor, 
you see your son kind of wanting to emulate not you, but the new flavor. I thought it showed just how Elvis was kind of this global phenomenon, right? Where it not only was t- not only was touching the audience, but was touching the people that were around him. And I thought that was a really good vehicle for that. And I thought the actors did a really good job of portraying how you know this isn't the way things are done. This is you know this isn't this isn't how we perform. This isn't how our show should go. Because he was losing control of he was the star, and the star now was becoming second fiddle to the new attraction. And I thought that was really a key to this. And I enjoyed their performances a great deal because that was the shift in that beginning part that we were talking about where it was like, okay, we got normal now. And casting in this was really essential. And I thought they did a really, really strong job across the board with casting in this film. There was nobody that I felt was, and that might be, I don't know how you feel about that, but from my perspective, I didn't feel that anybody was miscast. I thought the casting was really strong in this movie. I, I agree. And I think it is almost a forgotten element of the movie because I think, you know, the, the two main characters dominate the film so much that you almost start to not notice the performance of the supporting actors. Uh, because there's, you know, I mean, I mentioned Olivia de Jong as, as, Priscilla and we've mentioned a couple of other people but there is nobody in this who takes over the role you know takes the screen over at any point from Tom Hanks and Austin Butler they are always the pivotal people so it's real easy to kind of overlook the supporting actors but when you're watching it you know with a critical eye and you're trying to to see you know where you know where it's going right and where it's going wrong uh, I do think that there was attention paid to the casting of the characters. Uh, and even when it might not seem to be that important, it, it's when you add it up, it's almost like then it becomes so, you know, it, it just adds to the movie so much where you don't even realize it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I couldn't agree more. So all that said, uh, I really enjoyed this. It does have, the slower beginning. Uh, I am not going to take any points off of it for playing fast and loose with the truth on things because it doesn't even go overboard with that. That's just my pet peeve that I felt the need to air uh, in in this show. Uh, I'm going to put this at, at a at a good middle of the road Jaws two. Uh, very enjoyable to watch, and if I see it on, you know, if I'm flipping through the channels especially if there's a performance by uh, Austin Butler as Elvis in it, I'm stopping and I'm watching. Yeah, we're actually spot on, dead on with this one, because I'm agreeing it's a Jaws 2. Um, this is one where I'm really glad I saw it. I would recommend it to others. Uh, is this one where I need to watch it 50 times? No, but that's not a knock on the film. I think it is must-viewing. Because I think it's it launched for me an interest in seeing a lot more about Elvis. I want to watch other movies. I want to watch other performances. Um, I thought what Austin Butler did deserves all the praise that it's been getting. I thought Tom Hanks did a really, really good job in this one. And the cast in general did a good job in this one. Um, it's, it's something I'm glad I saw. And it, it falls kind of in that category for me. Jaws 2, 100% for me. All right. So that's it for Elvis. Elvis has left the, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just want to 
throw out to everybody who's listening because I made the announcement or we made the announcement how you're going to be more active on the show. Uh, we don't always put out these episodes in the order we record them. So I know there's going to be at least one episode after this that Sean and I recorded before we had all those discussions. And that'll be our discussion of the movie Airport. Uh, I know I we already have recorded an episode about the Towering Inferno that I would have definitely wanted Sean's input on had we had that discussion already. Uh, but we hadn't. So <laughs> that's in the in the in the uh, can and it'll be coming up. Uh, so you're going to hear, hear some things that will be out of sequence or whatever. But, you know, uh, everything we said is true. That's all. Well, I'm proud and, to be here. And thanks again for having me on this episode, because this was a fun one to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And it was a movie that I'm happy that I finally got to sit through and watch. Uh, thanks for, for doing it with me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.